G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. There have been some reports this month that Border Force officials had been telling refugees on Nauru that they must separate from wives and children in order to apply for resettlement in the United States under the deal done between the government and the U.S., Well, whether that eventually happens or not, and families are separated, it raises questions about what happens to families who are held in detention. Andrea Takaji is an international human rights advocate and founder and CEO of Fighting for Justice Foundation. Andrea's back with us. Hello, Andrea. Welcome back to 2020. Thanks very much for having me, Neil. Andrea, you're concerned about families who are in detention, and as I understand it, there are no children on Manus Island, but on Nauru there are families there. You yourself, before we get into any detail about how we ought to approach these things as Christians, you yourself were a refugee as a child. Uh, Give us a quick, in a nutshell, idea of your own experience back in the 1980s. Yeah, that's right. So we came over as a refugee family from uh, communist Romania. So we were escaping uh, Ceausescu's dictatorship regime uh, and we escaped through Austria and then were accepted into Australia. And um, we first arrived at Villard uh, Detention Facility when we first arrived in Australia. So my experience very much has shaped my choice to become a human rights advocate and I've gone on and studied uh, not only international human rights law but uh, migration law and I've also worked across Australia's detention centres. So this is an issue that's very close to my heart and uh, I am extremely concerned about families being separated, particularly in relation to the safety of the most vulnerable in families. Uh, which are the women and the children. And so those sorts of concerns will continue because while ever there are families in detention, there'll always be those who are on one side who say that children should never be held in detention. What are your thoughts for that whole controversy, that conflict that goes on about children being held in detention should they be separated from their parents? You're clearly saying Mm. it's best for the children to stay with their parents. Yes, it's not a, an easy matter. And of course, uh, in an ideal world, no one should be held in detention uh, if they are refugees and they have the right to seek asylum and they are in fear of death or threat of their life. But unfortunately, this is um, the legal parameters within which we are functioning as a nation. And so uh, there is offshore processing and that processing does take place in facilities that are highly secure. And, uh, you know, these detention facilities also have, uh, obviously, security guards, um, you know, who 
perhaps sometimes behave in uh, prison-like fashion. So those are the circumstances. But in a recent article, I did raise issues in relation to separating children, particularly children from families. So my concerns include releasing children out of detention does obviously lead to family separation. And children often find security, normality and safety and comfort within that uh, family and familial context. Releasing children from detention may also lead to children being institutionalised and exposed to abuse and further trauma because of that separation. Andrea, how do you feel about the church's response to what's happening with families who are held in detention? Because uh, there are different ways that churches are responding, some advocating in more peaceful ways, others doing things that are more active and getting a headline or two. What are your thoughts on the best ways for churches to advocate on behalf of those who are held in detention? Yes, I can't speak for individual churches, but I understand that there have been collective movements uh, to stand in civil disobedience in prayer to uh, demand the release of children out of detention facilities. And although this seems like a very Christian, very uh, compassionate response, there are big issues here in relation to a misunderstanding of not only our legal political system and how lobbying works, but also um, what is effective in that space. So, for example, um, when we lobby, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, should we engage in political lobbying and having a voice in the public sphere? And for that, I would say, even though it is tempting to take the Anabaptist um, view of, of life, just to escape because it's all too hard, if we don't have that uh, positive and light-filled voice in those dark places, even more darkness will fill it. Secondly, it is incumbent upon us to bring solution, to bring a strategy and an alternate uh, you know, suggestion and way forward for these complex matters. So it needs to be well thought out and steeped in um, you know, collaborative and strategic thinking. Thirdly, understanding the way uh, internationally this matter uh, unfolds, releasing children from detention would in no doubt encourage smugglers to actually target children. So I've seen this firsthand working in detention centres across Australia and interviewing individuals and families and understanding how people smugglers work and who they target and why. They very much keep a track on uh, policy changes, particularly in uh, uh, smuggling highway uh, destinations such as Australia. There's a lot of those persons that prefer uh, to end up in places like Australia and developed countries with multiple opportunities. And so the smugglers are very good at selling, so to speak, uh, the lifestyle here and the opportunities here. It often is steeped in fraud, coercion, um, misinformation and, of course, lies. But when when you talk about what the people that. smugglers' uh, model or marketing looks like, 
Mm. Uh, you say that they promote it almost like uh, getting on a cruise ship and arriving in Australia and uh, being welcomed with a job. Uh, is it that? Is it that sort of touristy promotion type way that people smugglers tend to work? Absolutely. So they will go from city to village and literally run recruitment rallies for vulnerable people that they know are already displaced or fearing um, their life and threat to life and wanting to uh, escape their circumstance. They recruit on the basis of uh, expecting these families to hand over their life savings and even more than that. So families often borrow exorbitant amounts of money to get on their supposed cruise liner to arrive in a country that will offer them uh, jobs straight away, free accommodation, free education, which is sort of true. Our welfare system in Australia is one of the strongest in the world, although it comes, obviously, with expectations and within the legal framework, such as you have to be an Australian citizen to access a lot of our welfare system, and you also have to, um, within accessing that welfare system, uh, you know, jump through a few hoops, so to speak. So it is very deceptive. The recruitment methods are targeted and deceptive. Andrea, we're about to hit another Christmas and New Year, and there are people who are in detention on Nauru, <laughs> and on Manus Island, uh, what are your thoughts on how Christians ought to think about solutions to what's happening on Nauru and on Manus Island? Any thoughts? I was on Christmas Island in 2010, Christmas Day, when the horrific boat crash occurred and hundreds of people lost their lives uh, in those stormy, uh, stormy seas on our shores. As Christmas approaches, we need to remember the cost of lives around the world that uh, displaced persons are willing to, to uh, pay that price because of even the hope of safety for their families. So as Christmas approaches, I think we need to think deeply about uh, how we can help the one how one family in Australia can connect with one family overseas, whether it's through aid organisations, sending assistance, whether it's through partnering with churches or organisations to sponsor families, whether it's hosting families in our own homes when they arrive in Australia. I think these practical solutions steeped in uh, relationships steeped in prayer, steeped in communion and fellowship, are so integral to the model of discipleship that Jesus gave us and also to the Great Commission. You know, this is going into all the world. You are impacting another culture and another, a person from another nation that will in turn impact their community. And there's a powerful statement to be had there. I think... You know, the church for too long has been talking about compassion, empathy and love. And sometimes we're trying to decide on our theology and approach at the expense of actually doing it. And in fact, the doing it part costs more. And that's really what Jesus focused on. He didn't talk about, you know, extending grace to the woman at the well. He just did it. He didn't talk about healing as much as he just did it. 
And out of those doing moments was a lesson that in turn he taught not only his disciples but the community around them. You're saying that as Christian believers there needs to be action even before there is some way of making sense or coming up with the words or the way that we politically engage here may be a stronger form when it's done with action rather than just in some form of stunt or lobbying process. Yes, I think it's a matter of integrity and I think that actions really do speak louder than words. And that sometimes our words are, can be um, misinterpreted. Uh, and so when you act in love, it's a bit hard to uh, misconstrue that. Okay, well, I'll point people to a recent article that you had published in the Tasmanian Times. People might like to Google that. Or you can find out some more about the Fighting for Justice Foundation at fightingforjusticefoundation.com. Andrea Takaji, international human rights advocate and founder and CEO of Fighting for Justice Foundation. Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.